my father is an electrician my mom goes to housework they want to make an uh, agriculture ma'am for me but i am interested in medical so what i wish i am going to do that uh, because our native place is tamil nadu ma'am if in the future we settled in there only i should know the works so they say to study about the agriculture so i can't leave that also but i can't leave this also because the here there is a many opportunities ma'am for many jobs but in the villages we can't get that jobs here we can get a amount to manage our life according to that life this is happy cities an intersection of million dreams or tens of million dreams and by virtue of being that and as this gets concentrated it also becomes this very large hoover that sucks out resources energy skills out of everywhere else in a very large hinterland around it so then the latter starts to happen people in that hinterland don't have much of an option if you have a skill and you see you know what in bangalore somebody is ready to pay me 500 bucks an hour for this i'd rather be there where you are does not have the surplus to afford you or pay you that and then loses your skill anyway so definitely will not have a surplus going forward collectively it's a self perpetuating loop in that sense so a lot of people find here themselves here because of that for many bengaluru is a city of dreams but there's a difference between its aspirational nature that is how it has drawn people from across the state and the country to get jobs especially in the highly sought after it industry and what the reality of life is as a worker in the city if you have to look at this as home for many people what does it being home mean to you how does the home protect you allow for you to exist in various conditions and times what is the baseline set of things we would like to provide for everybody here Welcome to Uru, a podcast that talks to Bengaluru citizens about how they are addressing sustainability in their city. I'm your host Manasi Pingre and I'm from the Bengaluru Sustainability Forum, an inter-institutional initiative that fosters conversations, builds bridges and encourages interdisciplinary collaborations, all working towards Bengaluru's sustainable future. Uru is brought to you by the Bengaluru Sustainability Forum and Vaka Media. In this episode we are exploring work. Is Bengaluru a good place to work? Everybody knows that Bengaluru is a migratory hub for people from across the country. The city's ability to attract people from everywhere lies in the possibility it offers to build things for the future. built on its long standing investments in industry technology and science but what is it really like to work here how are the concerns of urban workers being addressed be it ensuring a safe commute good childcare for their families affordable housing or good working conditions does the city support progressive urban employment schemes for a city built on it parks and factories in the periphery how will it grow in the next 20 years 
how do sustainability issues affect the lives and livelihoods of Bengaluru's workers? And most importantly, can it be designed to create neighborhood-level local economies? And what does this mean for the well-being of workers? Satyajit Mayor is the director of the National Center for Biological Sciences and a steering committee member of the Bengaluru Sustainability Forum. In this episode, he is in conversation with Samir Shishodia. Today, Samir is the head of Rain Matters Foundation, an organization that focuses on the ecological restoration of our ecosystems. But Samir didn't begin his career in the space. Perhaps we can start even earlier, that is, before you got to Rain Matter Foundation and, and what you were doing in the tech industry, you know, to start with. So I'm, I'm a Tata boy. <laughs> so I, I got to Bangalore in 96, straight out of college with a job at Wipro. The very usual tech story around those times. What was the tech story around those times? I mean, I'm curious. For, for every 20-something-year-old out of college, Bangalore was the place to be. If you were in tech, more so. But I think Bangor was where the dreams were being crafted. And so 96 was about the time where this was already just starting to happen. Bangor was still a little quiet and sleepy. But this word had gotten out and companies like Wipro and Infosys were already starting to become big brands. I think there was a history to technology companies before even ComScience and IT happened with all the research labs and other stuff in Bangor. It already had a reputation and a sheen of being the most advanced tech city in Bangalore, even before IT. And then I think there was an existing talent pool which quickly picked up the skills on com science and IT tech as things started to happen. Of course, the climate helps, the coffee helps. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> Bangalore is still a very, very, very friendly city. In some sense, it's always been multicultural. It's always been cosmopolitan in many ways. All of those factors helped it move ahead when tech happened in a very massive way. I'll just perhaps add a little bit to the story of why this kind of tech may have emerged here. You name a public sector industry in India and it had most likely its headquarters in Bangalore. And this was also, you know, I think some kind of a you know, real coup in Karnataka came into being that in the 60s and the 70s, you know, when the state was formed also, there were huge incentives given for public sector industry to, to set up. You know, ITI, for example, is from Bangalore, HAL, BHEL, NAL, ISRO. I mean, all these places. And, of course, you have the Indian Institute of Science, which is set up, you know, more than 75 years before Karnataka has even put it together. So all these factors, you know, did create, I would say, maybe a, a fertile ground for companies to come in, come and take advantage of the existing kind of talent pool and the existing educated community that was here, right? And perhaps that's sort of where you found yourself in 96, coming to a place which already had this background. And I'll just say something for myself and for the sciences, of course, because of the Indian Institute of Science, because of the Raman Research Institute, Jawaharlal Nehru Center, the astrophysics, and of course, ISRO. They, even for the sciences, Bangalore was an attractor. And one of the reasons why TIFR set up the institute that I had now, the National Center for Biological Science in Bangalore, was because Indian Institute of Science said, well, you know, come, we have some space and begin to grow it here. So we actually grew up on the Indian Institute of Science for the first five years. 
and then migrated out to the outskirts of Bangalore. You know, it was a very, very different city then. Work and opportunities have been the biggest driver of Bengaluru's growth. The population of the city doubled in a span of 15 years, from 4 million in 1995 to 8.5 million in 2011. Today, the city is home to over 12 million people and it is expected to grow to 20 million by 2031. And the number of migrants coming into the city has more than doubled in the past decade. So last year, a survey found that the Bengaluru urban district was the most linguistically diverse, with over 107 languages and dialects being spoken by its citizens. That's how multicultural it is. While Bengaluru is still a hugely aspirational place for workers, it bears the brunt of many a WhatsApp meme about how Kormangla has been ripped open by the construction, the Sisyphean challenge of crossing Silk Board Junction, and the horrors of the Kearpuram flyover or medal-worthy crossing of Marathalli Bridge, all of which point to the waning ability of Bengaluru to continue to win the livability contest. A number of SDGs talk about decent work, but the ability to work in a city is also determined by the city's ability to afford its citizens a good environment to live in. Cities that are inclusive, clean, safe, that protect the commons and allow its citizens to thrive. That's a good place to come back to Bangalore, because all you see, and over the past 25 years that I've been here and you've been here, is you know a steadfast sort of ignoring of ecology at almost every level. And Bangalore, I'm sure, is also home to many, many pilots where people have wanted to bring in ecology and concern about the, the urban ecology that we inhabit. Given that you are working so broadly across the country and you're also living here, how do you see you know, what could happen here? What are the possibilities about a sustainable urban ecosystem in Bangalore? At a very macro level, this whole divide between the urban and the and the non-urban is a very destructive construct. We've allowed for this concentration to happen in many ways, and then it perpetuates itself. And it gets more and more concentrated to a point where we are, I mean, if you, if you take an average of maybe 1,500 square kilometers across these six cities, we are at about, what, 9,000 square kilometers in a very, very large country, which are considered viable to live in by most of the population. Even a 20-something from Bhubaneswar and Kochi and Chandigarh is trying to move to one of these centers. They're trying to move to Pune or Hyderabad or Bangalore or uh, the NCR. Or, you know, That's a very stupid country to build, to start with. Right? You can't have a situation where most of the country is not considered worth living in by most citizens. Right? That's it's just absurd. Unless you can afford it, right? So that's one lens through which I look at this personally. We need to spread this out more, for sure. We need localized economic engines. We need localized production consumption loops where a lot of your needs are met locally. It reduces food miles. It reduces people miles. You know, it <laughs> reduces FMCG relevance, which is a good thing at this point in time, and so on and so forth. The other aspect from the city's point of view is that we now need to start seeing ourselves in a continuum of bioregions. We don't exist in isolation. Bangalore is the start of a lot of rivers. And we owe it to wherever these rivers flow to make sure what's flowing in them is good. 
The same is true for air, the same is true for our own soil, and so on and so forth. I have this uh, little picture I've drawn somewhere where there are, you know, essentially four pillars which make a place worth living in, which make a place uh, livable and attractive. So one pillar is definitely economic, and that's the one we've been chasing in the last few decades very, very strongly. Another pillar is the human services, right? What we what shows up in HDI indicators. The next, the most ignored pillar is the ecological one, right? We've actually done fairly well on the economic pillar at the cost of this largely. The fourth one is, of course, your sense of pride around a place, the arts, that sense of pride and, you know, belongingness, which encourages you to take care of the city. So I don't think it's Bangalore's problem alone. In fact, I would say, yeah, Bangalore's seen it worsen like the other cities have other six cities have because of the influx of people, because it's attractive to a lot of people and so on and so forth. Compared to the other five cities, I would say Bangalore does the most about it. There's a fair bit of recognition and activism across the spectrum, but Bangalore gets into action more, a lot more than other cities do. Whether it's the lakes, whether it's water management, you know, waste management, etc. How much of a dent we've made is another question. But at least there's a seed of action. There's a seed of the desire to do something about it for each of these things. So I see as a Bangalore as a beacon of hope, actually, compared to most other cities, to be honest. I'm Clifton. I'm a political activist, also a lawyer. There are many Bangalores and many versions of a very fun city that Bangalore is. So, for instance, you'll have to get up at five in the morning, go stand on, you know, on the line for the community tab to fill your water. You're always threatened with eviction. You have your uh, Afta Vasool that's happening over there. So basically an entire set section that does not have any security. And this insecurity is not just about where you live. It's not just about the roof that leaks during monsoons. The insecurity is extends to whether you'll even have that home beyond a point. That insecurity then also is there in your daily life, in your working life, as to because the jobs itself, the job situation is so precarious. And it's not, of course, the pandemic has made it far more precarious than it always was. But for the unorganized workers, which is a majority of the working class, it has always been uh, precarious. There's no escaping that. Of course, the only thing is, like, unlike Bombay, for instance, where you cannot hide these two, these several Bombays that coexist. They coexist as in they coexist in the physical space. It is not kind of a harmonious kind of coexistence that you're seeing. Bangalore is very different that way in that sense. You know, people will be surprised to know the number of slums that are there in Bangalore. Somehow you are able to hide uh, these places where you know slums are located, where the working class actually actually lives. This is Clifton. Clifton Rosario works with a number of groups across the city on issues of workers' rights. There's a huge underclass of workers that do the invisible hard work of keeping our cities going. From the migrant labor and construction to the sanitation workers and power karmikas that run our waste management systems, to the ASHA, Anganwadi and primary healthcare workers who provide care and deliver critical social protection and healthcare to our citizens. The vast majority of these workers work informally for low wages in extremely precarious conditions with little or no occupational health and safety. And this is an issue that continues to be a challenge, one that we cannot keep blindly ignoring. 
ನಿಮ್ ದಿವಸ ಯಾವಾಗ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟ್ ಆಗುತ್ತೆ ಎಷ್ಟು ಗಂಟೆಯಿಂದ ಎಷ್ಟು ಗಂಟೆವರೆಗೂ ನಮಗೆ ಮಿಷಿನ್ ಬಂದು ಆರು ಗಂಟೆಯಲ್ಲಿದ್ದ ಆರು ನಲವತ್ ಎರಡು ನಿಮಿಷಕ್ಕೆ ಕ್ಲೋಸ್ ಆಗುತ್ತೆ ಮೇಡಮ್ ನೀವು ಕೆಲಸ ಏನೇನು ಮಾಡ್ತೀರಾ ದಿವಸ ದಿವಸ ಮೇಡಮ್ ನಾವು ಕಾರ್ಪಿಷನ್ ಕೆಲಸ ಅಂದ್ರೆ ಕಸ ಸಪ್ರೇಟ್ ಮಾಡಬೇಕು ಕಸ ಸೂಪರದ್ದೆಲ್ಲ ಸಪ್ರೇಟ್ ಉಡಿಸಿರೋದೆಲ್ಲ ಸಪ್ರೇಟ್ ಮನೆ ಕೆಲ ಕಸ ತಗೊಂಬರು ಮನೆ ಕಸ ಎಲ್ಲ ನಾವೇ ಸಪ್ರೇಟ್ ಮಾಡಬೇಕು ಕೆಲಸ ರೋಡ್ ಸೈಡ್ ಅಲ್ಲಿ ಮೇನ್ ರೋಡ್ಗಳಲ್ಲಿ ಕಸ ಗುಡ್ಸೋದು ಬೆಳಿಗ್ಗೆ ಆರು ಗಂಟೆಯಿಂದ ಹತ್ತುವರೆ ತನಕ ಒಂಬತ್ತುವರೆ ತನಕ ಕಸ ಗುಡಿಸ್ತೀವಿ Since the beginning of the pandemic the working class across India and Bengaluru included has experienced huge and devastating economic shocks. Ivan covid karna ninda enadru kelsa ga affect agidya? Kelsa keni affect agilla adre nam jeevanakke affect agide madam. Ee covid anad bandirodrinda madam iga school ella rate jaasti agide. Covid time alli namma idbe ನಮ್ಮ ಜೀವನದ ಮೇಲೆ ಆಸೆ ಬಿಟ್ಟು ನಮ್ಮ ಮಕ್ಕಳು ಮದಿನೆಲ್ಲ ಬಿಟ್ಟು ಹೋಗಿ ಕೆಲಸ ಮಾಡಿದ್ದೀವಿ ನಾವು ಆ ಟೈಮಲ್ಲೆಲ್ಲ ಕೆಲಸ ಮಾಡಿದ್ವಿ ನಮ್ಮ ಪ್ರಾಣ ಭಯ ಆಸೆ ಎಲ್ಲ ಬಿಟ್ಟು ಆದ್ರೆ ನಮ್ಮ ಜೀವನಕ್ಕೆ ಏನು ಇದು ಅವಾಗ ಕೋವಿಡ್ ಪದ್ಧತಿ ಅಂತ ಕೊಡ್ಬೇಕಾಗಿತ್ತು ಅದು ಏನು ಕೊಟ್ಟಿಲ್ಲ ಮೇಡಮ್ ಈಗಂತೂ ಎಲ್ಲ ಒಂದ್ರೆ ತರಕಾರಿ ಕೆ ಜಿ ಈಗ ಐವತ್ ರೂಪಾಯಿ ಎಪ್ಪತ್ ರೂಪಾಯಿ ಎಲ್ಲ ರೇಟು ಜಾಸ್ತಿ ಆಗಿದೆ ನಮ್ ಸಂಬಳ ಮಾತ್ರ ಜಾಸ್ತಿ ಆಗಿಲ್ಲ In a recent report by Azeen Premji University's Center for Sustainable Employment called the State of Working India, researchers have found that even today, the food intake for over 20% of vulnerable households are still at lockdown levels, meaning that many families are still eating far lesser quantities than they should be, and that they still have not been able to bounce back from the shock of the lockdown. These poorer households also faced higher losses of income in lockdown. The impacts were felt across other classes and groups. Nearly half of formal salaried workers moved into informal work and women have been far more likely to lose their jobs than their male counterparts. In effect what uh, this covid pandemic has done is that it is very brutally exposed the social realities of Our modern cities are built on the labor of migrant workers. Clifton talks about the Bengaluru metro that is being constructed and expanded. So I mean most of us know that the Bangalore metro which is being constructed is primarily constructed on migrant labor. You have migrants from Jharkhand etc etc people who are uh, Bihar, Odisha, Assam, West Bengal, UP because of the agrarian crisis because of the kind of uh, social discriminations that they are facing in their villages. It's a very conscious choice. The conscious choice of the employers to have migrant workers for projects such as this, especially big infrastructure projects, so that you don't have to deal with the possibility of them organizing themselves. All COVID did was to say that, see, this is the social reality of migrant workers. This you can't escape anymore. And when the lockdown was declared, the kind of destitution it caused. I remember we were doing a lot of relief work at that time. alongside fighting this you know taking up their issues in court and i'll never forget what one worker actually said he said you know i'm somebody who's come all the way from jharkhand to earn a living over here i'm not a beggar this government has reduced me to a beggar now how many people can actually appreciate the depth of you know self respect i think the question to ask is as a city or as a country What is it that you want every citizen to have access to 
irrespective of their economic situation? I think that's an important question to answer. Schooling, healthcare, law enforcement for sure, legal access, even basic food. Like right now, we have about 15 to 20 crore citizens across the country who are in distress. And before they can build themselves, uh, rebuild themselves economically, you need to take care of the basics of food for sure. And on top of that, layer education and healthcare as uh, second level you know, needs that are here and now for them already. But if you don't take care of food, they are going to be in a state of distress and they are, how should I say, ripe for exploitation. They will do anything to meet that need. So you don't want them to be exploited. You want them to be secure when they start to rebuild themselves economically. Right. So I think we have to confront and answer this question as citizens of a city, of a country, very, very quickly. If that happens, if the public riches are great, then private sufficiency is enough. You may still have aspirations. You may still want to be a big entrepreneur. You may still want to create a big story or a legacy. You're not gated on the need to earn a certain amount of money just to survive. The public riches sort of take care of that for you. Like public transportation within the city should be free. I'm a big votary of that. This whole idea about the BMTC needing to be profitable is absurd. Like I think Ashwin Mahesh was saying once, the BMTC should be funded out of the health budgets of the city. You know, because it's an investment into our own health. Well, Bengaluru has had a reputation for civic responsibility and there are opportunities to get involved, Samir says that the city has been on a journey to inculcate a spirit of participation. Bangalore has, you know, made many attempts and does continue to do things which are trying to bring, you know, a sense of inclusion. But how do you see this? I mean, how is it that, for example, an entity like us, the Sustainability Forum, can begin to think about equity and inclusion? I think with the specialization of our jobs and you know the reinforcement of those ideas through our education, we've almost been disabled. I mean, I mean with, we've also had governance structures which have kind of disabled our self-belief in some sense, which benefit from our lack of self-belief. Right? So if you are able to solve our own problems, what the hell are they going to do? You know? Even a little patch of road somewhere now needs an inauguration. You know, it, I think a bunch of these factors put together have just reinforced the fact that, hey, you know what? My involvement is not going to move the needle on anything. When I got here, I already saw some people involved in a bunch of things. So you're encouraged to participate. And as you see that conversation start to go somewhere, as you see your effort start to yield results, the feedback loop is amazing. You get encouraged to do a little more. So I think cultures get built up over time like that. I would go on to say that Bangalore, do, having done this, has encouraged pockets of such effort in other cities as well. I know that's true for cycling, for sure. 2008, nine is when we were pushing hard on this. And I have seen Hyderabad and Delhi and all of that. There are, it's still small pockets there, Pune, but it's grown there as well. But Bangalore was the pioneer for all of this. The State of Working India report also pointed out that women have been most likely to lose their jobs during COVID. One of the most vulnerable groups of workers in the pandemic has been the frontline workers. 
a large proportion of whom are women. The government is one of the biggest employers of women via the Integrated Child Development Services Scheme, which employs millions of women that run our Anganwadis and our primary health and community workers. Bangalore BBMP Hospital, Manjanath Nagar. Here's Uma Mahadevan, a principal secretary at the RDPR department in the government of Karnataka and a senior IS officer. These are community workers who play a big role in sharing information, education, awareness and dispelling certain regressive ideas. So typically an Anganwadi worker in the course of a day or a week has to address multiple issues, not just nutrition or stunting or wasting those, though those are very, very key and very primary issues. She also has to talk about breastfeeding. She has to talk about mastitis to women who may be experiencing difficulties breastfeeding. She has to you know, at least counsel women who may be experiencing domestic violence or abuse or verbal abuse or maybe having harassment of other kinds from their families or their men. I'll give you an example. When Anganwadi supervisors or workers go to check on the status of a severely undernourished child or a severely malnourished child, you will find that the severe malnutrition is because of multiple factors. There could be, I wouldn't say there would, but there could be cases of extreme poverty and alcoholism. There could be abandonment. There could be clinical depression. I have seen pictures of Anganwadi workers or helper or supervisors visiting homes where the stove hasn't been lit for days, things like this. So importance of an Anganwadi worker being a member of the community, being a community worker right there. She's also a role model. She's a role model in many ways because she has to talk, she has to convince. And we saw a huge part of this during COVID in spreading science-based information about COVID and going house to house, reassuring people, fighting stigma, preventing panic, spreading information, busting fake news. All of this was also done. And so you also saw that I have seen people telling me that when we send interns from town or when we have officers or officials from other departments, it's not so easy because people don't know them and therefore they don't trust them. But if it's their Anganwadi worker, the Anganwadi worker also convinces so well that, for example, people who are afraid to say that they're a primary contact or a secondary contact of a COVID patient, they come forward and they share information and contact tracing also became much easier because of this. So while I don't want to essentialize that these are all, you know, things that women are particularly talented about. 
ಕೋವಿಡ್ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ಇಂದಾನು ಈಗ ವ್ಯಾಕ್ಸಿನ್ ನಡೀತಾ ಇದೆ ಇದುವರೆಗೂ ಕಷ್ಟನೇ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ಅಲ್ಲಿ ಲಾಕ್ಡೌನ್ ಬಂತು ಕೋವಿಡ್ ಆ ಟೈಮ್ ಅಲ್ಲಿ ಅಂತೂ ಜನಕ್ಕೆ ತುಂಬಾನೇ ಭಯ ಇತ್ತು ಅವಾಗ ಅವರು ಹೊರಗಡೆ ಮಾಸ್ಕ್ ಇಲ್ದೆ ಓಡಾಡ್ತಿದ್ರು ಅವಾಗ ಬಹಳ ಮಾಸ್ಕ್ ಮತ್ತೆ ಕೈ ತೊಳೆಯೋದ್ರ ಬಗ್ಗೆ ಬಹಳನೇ ಅವೇರ್ನೆಸ್ ಕೊಡ್ತಾ ಇದ್ವಿ ಅದು ಸರಿಯಾಗಿ ಪಾಲ್ಸೋರ್ ಪಾಲ್ಸೋರು ಪಾಸ್ಡೇರ್ ಅರಿರೋ ಆಮೇಲೆ ಕೋವಿಡ್ ಪಾಸಿಟಿವ್ ಬರಕ್ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟ್ ಆಯ್ತು ಅವಾಗ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ದಬ್ಬಾಳಿಕೆ ನಮ್ ಮೇಲೆ ಯಾಕಂದ್ರೆ ನಮ್ದು ನಾವೇ ಐಡೆಂಟಿಫ್ ಮಾಡಿ ಅವ್ರನ್ನ ಹಾಸ್ಪಿಟ್ಲ್ ಲೆವೆಲ್ ತರಿಸ್ಬೇಕಾಗಿತ್ತು ಕೋವಿಡ್ ಪೇಷಂಟ್ ನ ಅವಾಗ ಬಂದ್ಬಿಟ್ಟು ಕೋವಿಡ್ ಹೆಲ್ತ್ ಸೆಂಟರ್ ಎಲ್ಲ ಮಾಡಿದ್ರಲ್ಲ ಅಲ್ಲಿ ತಗೊಂಡೋಗಿ ಐಸೋಲೇಷನ್ ಅಲ್ಲೇ ಇಡ್ಬೇಕಾಗಿತ್ತಲ್ಲ ಅವಾಗ ನಾವು ಅವ್ರ ಮನೆಗಳ ಹತ್ರ ಹೋದ್ರೆ ಫುಲ್ ಜಗಳ ಮಾಡೋರು ಸಿಕ್ಕಾಬಟ್ಟೆ ಜಗಳ ನಮ್ಗೆ ಬಂದಿ ಎಷ್ಟೋ ಜನಕ್ಕೆ ಬೆದರಿಕೆ ಹಾಕಿದ್ದಾರೆ ಬಟ್ ನಮ್ಮ ಇದ್ರಲ್ಲೆಲ್ಲ ಆಗಿಲ್ಲ ನನಗೂ ನನಗ್ ನಡ್ದಿರೋದ್ ಅನುಭವ ಏನಂದ್ರೆ ಮನೆ ಹತ್ರ ಬಂದಿನ ಜಗಳ ಮಾಡಿದ್ದಾರೆ ನಿಮ್ಗೆ ಮಾಡೋ ಕೆಲಸ ಇಲ್ವಾ ಯಾಕೆ ಬರ್ತೀರಾ ನಾವು ಹೋಮ್ ಐಸೋಲೇಷನ್ ಇರ್ತೀವಿ ನೀವ್ ಯಾಕೆ ಬಂದು ಕರ್ಕೊಂಡು ಹೋಗ್ತೀರಾ ನಮ್ಮನ್ನ ಯಾವ ರೀತಿ ನೋಡಿ ಟ್ರೀಟ್ ಮಾಡ್ತಿದ್ರು ಅಂದ್ರೆ ಅವ್ರನ್ನ ಏನೋ ನಾವೇನೋ ಕಳ್ರು ಅನ್ನೋ ತರ ನಮ್ಮನ್ನ ಟ್ರೀಟ್ ಮಾಡ್ತಿದ್ರು Even before the pandemic, frontline workers have been agitating for better working conditions and regular wages. But we as a society still fail to appreciate the huge contribution of these workers despite our deep reliance on them to keep our communities safe and healthy. We are lucky to have such a wonderful cadre of people working on the ground to cater to the needs of communities. And we should see what other ways we can do. both support them and also strengthen their professional development the anganwadi offers critical support to working women with children across the city while wealthier classes in the city are aware of the importance of child care and support to women especially working women and they may be able to privately afford these services individually we are often ignorant of public services available to the vast majority of the citizens of the city services that need to be championed and supported by those with means and this as amir pointed out can only happen if citizens take the effort to get to know their city and become involved in its various initiatives as a member of the government we asked uma to talk a little bit more about what and how citizens can support women workers and urban women in general you know we often talk about the poor workforce participation of women but here is a program that by definition will make it possible if you run it well and if you run it through the day for the hours that women need it you can immediately make it possible for women at the bottom of the pyramid to go out to seek work to seek paid work uh, knowing fully well in the security that their children are being looked after and that they're safe and therefore it's very important to form these partnerships i think in cities like bangalore i think it's also possible certainly very possible to talk to different apartment complexes because i saw this happening resident welfare associations i don't say all of them but several of them have really come forward to offer their help to those in hardship during this time and bangalore has a long tradition of you know civil society partnerships and citizen engagement improving people's lives not just in the privileged few kind of focusing on issues that matter to them but in caring for their neighborhoods and in making it possible for people and being concerned also about inequalities within the city and therefore i think it's possible and it's necessary to forge more such partnerships in the city
If Bengaluru is seen as a place where white-collar workers arrive to make money and lead a certain lifestyle, it should also be a place where they give back to the community. I'll try to come to this answer, but there's a related thought that I've discussed a lot very, very publicly as well. And this is about uh, pick a random percentage of people, any locality, any neighborhood, any ward, the whole city maybe, who are doing what I tend to call abstract work. There's probably better articulation of it. But basically work that doesn't affect your expanding circles of neighborhoods. I'm talking about you doing something for, I don't know, some city in the US Midwest that you've just heard of and can barely place on the map. Or not even that, you're writing code for an insurance company whose customers or geographies you have absolutely zero clue about. You don't connect with your work and nobody around you needs your work, is dependent on your work. I have this personal belief and this is completely, you know, completely instinctive. It's not based on any research or data or anything whatsoever. I think there's a certain percentage, maybe, you know, 30 or 40 percent beyond which it starts to hurt the place that you live in. If most people are doing abstract work that doesn't influence or matter to the people around you, it starts to have a negative impact. It's not about an individual doing that work. So if you are doing work like that, you need to take out time and get involved in something which is not remunerative, but which is locally relevant. Right? Whether it's volunteering, whether it's professional, that's not the point. Because your bonds and your connects with the place form around these interactions. We organize very often in terms of rights, but we do not do it in terms of responsibilities as often. So I think that conversation needs to happen. And uh, I'm sure Bangalore being Bangalore, a lot of people will get sucked into it and you know raise their hands and just show up for it. So that I'm optimistic about. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Uma Mahadevan, Satyajit Mayor, Samir Shishodia, Clifton Rosario, and finally, thanks to all the kids who talked from Paranam. For more information, go to our website at bengalurusustainabilityforum.org and follow us on social media at SustainBLR.